other than that, I would like to introduce Cora and Troy Roberts. Um, oh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> so, <laughs> stop. When I was going into college at Northwestern, now University of Northwestern St. Paul, I got a note in the mail saying who my roommates were going to be for my freshman year. And there was this girl, Corella Roberts, or Butters at the time. And I thought it said Indiana. It did not say Indiana that she was from. She was from Idaho and literally from, like, Canada. So I was thoroughly confused when she showed up and was like, no, I'm from the opposite end of the country, like, way up north and in this tiny little town. And um, I never thought I'd go to Bonners Ferry, Idaho, as many times as I have in my life to visit her. But we ended up rooming all four years together. She had this crazy kook along with her all four years. So he was always in our dorm room causing trouble. Um, and then they finally got married. Took forever. But um, <laughs> dated forever. Yep. We've stayed connected. This is my roommate. I refer to her as roommate. I'm so pleased to have them here today. This has been five years of me hoping that this day would come. So um, just so grateful to have them here and for Eric allowing them to be here. Goodness. <laughs> so they're going to share with you a little about what they do in Thailand. Um, and then Troy's going to preach for us this morning. So I'm yeah. just super excited and so glad that you could be here. And then we found a spot to meet and <laughs> that everything worked out. So. So, hi. Um, many of you don't know us, but we feel such a strong connection through the Lindines to Mosaic that it just feels a little homey. So thank you for letting us be in your not-home home. Um, it's actually pretty awesome that you welcomed us this way because our lives right now, we're in Thailand. I'm a middle school math and science teacher, and one of my main ministries is basketball. Uh, I use basketball to, to reach ties, uh, and uh, I, get, I love teaching the Bible. So here I am standing on a basketball court with a hallway full of Southeast Asian and Thai people. I was just speaking Thai in the hallway with somebody. I'm teaching the Bible in a middle school. So this is perfect. It couldn't, this has been my entire life, right, in a, in a little nutshell. It's perfect. So, you know, really, thank you for having us. Um, we want to, some of you maybe don't know a little bit about Thailand, so we just want to give you a moment of info on Thailand. Then I'll ask Cora to explain what it is we're doing and why we're doing it. So I've got some help back there. Is it Jimmy on the helm? Thank you, Jimmy. So Thailand, you can see it's actually pretty close to China, but we're very close to Myanmar or Burma, whatever you're calling it these days, uh, Laos, Cambodia, Indonesia. So it is an open country, meaning you can get into it, but many of the countries around are very difficult to get into it. So you'll see missionaries come here to get into closed countries. We came for Thailand itself. Thailand is an animistic nation, but if you look it up online, they'll tell you we are the old home of Theravada Buddhism, the old school real Buddhism. So to be Thai is to be Buddhist, but at the same time, spirit worship, uh, animism is the idea that there's these uh, spirits, sometimes deities, that exist within the things around us. And mostly we see that kind of worship. Thailand is just, we just cleared 1% professing Christianity in the country of Thailand, but it's still an unreached country. That actually means the uh, percentage of people who claim to be Christian in Thailand is, it's lower in Thailand than it is in North Korea, in Iraq, in Saudi Arabia, and Pakistan. All those countries by percentage of Christian are more reached than Thailand, yet Thailand has millions of visitors who come for the beaches every single year. You can get into this country. It's just very difficult to share Christ in this country. <laughs> Do you want to tell 
how we try to do that? Sure. So a little bit more about what we do. If we could have the next slide. Um, we came primarily to serve at Chiang Rai International Christian School. And this has kind of been our, our thing. It's like, okay, we're teachers. God, where can we teach and share Jesus? And first that was here in the Twin Cities for a while. And then that was Alaska, right way out in the bush for seven years. And the past five years, that's been in Thailand, up in the north. And the school that we get to serve at, it's all volunteer teachers. So we're blessed to have people provide the way for us to be there. And the people we work with, um, the students, about 70% of them come from servant families, people who are there doing some sort of missions or outreach or church planting work. And, um, you know, 70% Christian families doesn't mean that all their kids are serving Jesus, but we do have, um, we do have quite a few Christian kids there that we get to disciple. And then the ones that are hurting from their families, um, that like, I don't know, without getting into stories, there's kids in those homes that need to feel the love of Christ too. And then 30% of our student population is always reserved for the Thai Buddhist families. So they sign up for our school because they want their kids to have a good, solid English education. That'll get them to where they want to be in, you know, the world of universities and doctorates and that kind of thing. Um, But... They also agree, yes, you can teach my kid Bible. Kid can go to chapel every week. You know, teachers are completely free to share the love of Christ just through their contact and through teaching. So it's a great door for both discipleship and evangelism right there in the school. We really love that about it. Okay, next slide. Um, One of the other things that God has blessed me to do the last couple years is to serve the women in primarily our missionary community um, by providing connection points for them. We do a retreat once a year for women. We do um, like brunches and worship nights and things like that because it's really hard when you live in a transient community full of volunteers that, you know, return to their home countries to have deep, meaningful relationships with one another. And we often, sadly, get so caught up in the ministry and the serving and the doing that we don't take mm-hmm. enough time to let our hearts, like, just go deep and be rooted in Jesus and let him do transforming work in us. So um, my heart and my goal with these women's ministries is to give people that point of connection with each other and that point of connection with Jesus. So that's been um, something that I've really loved doing the past few years. Okay, next slide. So this is a picture of our Cricks family, um, kindergarten through 12th grade in one school from all over the world. We have Japanese and Brazilian and of course a large amount of Thai. We have um, lots of Australians and it's a beautiful eclectic mix. And the next slide will tell you some of the things that these families do. So we serve them as they serve in some of these capacities. Um, There's a lot of children's homes. There's a lot of church planting and pastoral training. There's Hill Tribe outreach. There's um, all sorts of creative avenues for teaching English or sports ministry or economic resourcing that gets the gospel in while providing tangible felt needs. So these families are doing amazing things, and we love to be able to support them through teaching their kids, through women's ministry, um, through just life and friendship too. So Troy's going to share just a little bit more about um, one of the people groups that we've been blessed to work with. If I can get out of the chair. Um, (laughs) So this is my wife. I love her. She's kind of a big deal for me. So can we all clap for my wife? (laughs) So the uh, Sean people group are actually from Myanmar, Burma, uh, directly west of Thailand. And when we first came, I was just a teacher and I had a little time on my hands because I had just one job, which is kind of normal, I think. But uh, then we took on a ministry on the side where we were reaching out to a Shan village. 
And so I would teach Bible to a group of about 18 girls. The uniqueness of the Shan village is that they were illegal immigrants into Thailand. Thailand allowed them to stay, even allowed them to take free education up through eighth grade. But then once they get to high school, they're of age for a particular type of work, which Thailand is famous for. And so the families would connect with the handler, and the girls uh, would be trafficked by their own family into prostitution. And that pays the bills. So um, when you're in a situation where you're not sure if you'll be able to eat all the time, that becomes a viable option. It was uh, really messed up. We didn't like it, um, but we understood what the families were going through. Part of their major expense was their animism. They had to pay for certain ceremonies so that the spirits would be on their side. So crops would go well, uh, fertility issues would go well, so they'd have the money and, and the blessing from these spirits to do life. And if that meant that a girl had to go work at a, a bar or a brothel in order to send back money so they could pay the shaman to make the spirits happy so that they could be blessed as a family, then that's what you do. So we, uh, we went there, and we were just teaching Bible, and then the Filipino couple we worked with decided, let's try to do something that will break this cycle. They talked families into, and this is not a small cell, they talked families into living at the poverty level at the level, I mean, the literal level of poverty. I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, no Chick-fil-A on Sunday. There's no Sunday for Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Let's say Saturday. Um, but they, they decided we'll, we'll try to sell it to the families, and 18 families were willing to try this. They said, okay, we'll live at the level of poverty. Um, we'll kind of back off the spirit payments, and we'll let our girls try a high school education. And they've done that. And so through that process, these girls are truly amazing. Can you uh, go ahead, Jimmy? Thanks, man. So these are the girls. They're actually holding study Bibles that you paid for. So if you are a faithful giver here at Mosaic, um, thank you for buying our girls' Bibles. Um, they treat those Bibles so well. They still look new. <laughs> they never, they, well, occasionally they might touch a covered floor, but floors are dirty, so they tend to be on the chair with all their things stacked nicely around them, and they love their Bibles, and you bought them, and uh, that was something we weren't able to do without you. So thank you for giving. Um, I won't get into too much detail, but this is a Bible study we were doing. It was actually a couple years ago now. But these girls run their own Bible studies now. Um, we recently uh, took a, sum, a summer break two years ago. And uh, the Filipinos also, because of health reason, had to go back to the Philippines. And so we left them alone. <gasps> right? Oh, the ministry, it will fall, won't it? The Lord won't possibly keep this going. But he did. He actually did, and he made it better. A uh, girl uh, we brought in that had been trained in ministry then kind of took the helm for these girls, uh, five of them don't have a home, and so they live in a girl's home led by this new girl who was Sean. She miraculously got saved in Burma by this crazy pastor, and uh, she came to faith, and now she's living with these girls, five of them, and they all meet twice a day in fellowship. They go to school. They actually are attending high school, and uh, five of them have now graduated high school, the first ever from this village to graduate from, uh, well, anything, period, but high school also. And uh, one of them will be graduating this spring, right, Tib? So one girl is graduating with an accounting degree, and she, we hope, becomes the poster child for this whole thing, because there was no poster child. There was no one doing this. Prostitution was the thing you did. So we're really, really excited about this, but the girls love the word. They now teach the word. The rest of their village is uh, illiterate. They haven't gone through education. So the girls go to seven different homes that, despite the danger of the spirits not liking it, have opened their doors and allowed the girls to come in, and they tell the story with pictures 
from the Bible. And there's about 40 core stories that they tell, and they do this over and over and over. Um, there are some, some interesting stories that have come out of this. There's been a little bit of opposition, but primarily people continue to hear the truth of Christ, and the girls continue to grow in both their knowledge and their passion to the point where they just recently crossed over into Burma and have started working with a school that's essentially a building with uh, nothing in it. There's nothing. I mean, literally nothing. There's like a chalk board thing, kind of. It's not really chalkboard, but they kind of work something out. And there's just rice mats on the floor. There's nothing. They don't have pencils or pens or paper. So the girls have saved their own money, if you can imagine that. At poverty level, they saved up money until they could take supplies into the school. And in the process of doing that, a few of the girls who are now studying to uh, go into hospitality, primarily they're thinking resorts and restaurants, they decided, let's cook for them. So they saved up a little bit more money, and they all spent money, and they had people carry. They had to get some guys from the village to help out with this one. But they had these huge gunny sacks just loaded down with cooked rice. This is like... Not normal for us, right? But it's normal for them. So big bags of food and rice. They took it to the school, and they had their first ever international outreach. So this is, this is a crazy group of women that are growing in Christ, um, but it's not without its difficulty. Boys are a thing. And uh, <laughs> boys create problems. Sorry, boys. I'm one of them, right? Yeah. Then uh, the girls, nah, it's not just that. It's, uh, it's still the parents. Um, we had kind of a rough, a rough uh, message that we got about three weeks ago that a girl named Halm, I mean, smells good. So uh, Halm, her family in Burma, pressured her to the point where she did actually uh, contact a handler, and they, she has a job now in Bangkok, and that's pretty terrible. So um, sadly, though, actually, this is a really good statistic. So about 17 out of 18 are in faith, are serving in ministry, and are completing their educations. And that is unbelievable. So um, thank you. You provided the Bibles that allowed them to have the knowledge of Christ. And so I'm, I don't know some of you, but I'm super thankful that you get to be a part of this story with us. So thank you for serving tithes. Um, it's, it's, it's bigger than you probably feel, but it's, it's been important to us. We've actually left this ministry because when we did come back, we found that they were actually doing just as well without us. And that's when you quit your job, right? I'm, I'm a teacher. I teach kids fractions when I'm done. They move on. I get some new kids, right? Same thing in ministry. These were ready to roll on their own. They had some leadership over them. We still have a guy with Send International, a missions group we're connected with. They go, make contact, check in, help them resource if they need resources. And now these girls are their own little church. And it's, it's pretty cool. So we've moved on, sort of, to Chiang Rai International Christian School. Do you mind hitting clicks? A couple of clicks in a row. Say, that's the rest of the girls. This is the whole group, just for fun. They're uh, as cute as can be. The girl in the glasses in the front in the black and white, she's the uh, kind of the leader of everything now. And the guy in the back in the black shirt, the only white guy there, he's the uh, representative of Center International. So it, it continues on, and we love this, but we have actually let that go, and, and proudly so. And the only thing we still connect with is basketball. The boys... They came. One guy wanted to marry the cutest girl in the entire group of 18, and she said no because she's following Jesus for now and she's not ready for a relationship. So he took all the boys and left the church. <sighs> so, boys. We're still working on the boys. They love to play basketball. So routinely I grab my guys from Chiang Rai International Christian School where I coach basketball, and I grab them, and we go play these guys. We bring them down to our school. Last time we had them there, we taught them the uh, story of the woman caught in adultery, and we had wigs and everything. And I always grab these Sean boys who are shy as can be, and they're, like, used to me because I do weird stuff like 
you know, well, yeah, just the weird stuff. But I grabbed them, put some wigs on them, some robes from our drama department, who actually recently did Godspell, and it is a great show. And uh, they dragged them out, made them act out this thing, and it's so funny. They're so shy and calm until you put a wig on a dude. Then... <laughs> then you've got some Oscar-level performances. It was so good. But we continue to try to reach those boys, but right now they are uh, not having church. The building is, uh, is empty of men. So we're working on that, but uh, that is our kind of side gig. Our, our main thing, go ahead and click on. I'll leave that there for a second. While you, when you're ignoring me, you can read that, I guess. Um, so Chiang Rai International Christian School uh, allows me to do a lot of things I love. I do enjoy basketball, and it is one way that I connect with kids that feels unique. For some reason, the relationships there go deep, and all of my discipleship relationships with uh, ties with the Chinese kid and a couple other uh, ethnicities has been born out of basketball. So the classroom is awesome, and I love serving families because I see families burn out. Our family was, uh, we served in Alaska for seven years, and during that time, we full burned out. We thought we'd go be uh, Rambo Jesus, and, or Jesus Rambo, maybe sounds better that way, and uh, we burned out completely. It was hard, and we didn't even have the size of families that some of these amazing families that Cora talked about have and the struggles they have. And missionary kids that are considering suicide and are suffering from depression and are addicted to porn, because almost all of them are. And they deal with these things, and they try to do it while their family has to write back these nice letters about how great everything's going and make sure funding keeps coming in. I'm just being real for a minute. And uh, try to also do ministry in another language, in another culture, um, it's just, it can be very difficult. So I love that the school is here to free families to be a little bit more healthy. At least education they know is going well. We also are a resource to get families the help that they need so they can stay healthy. So it used to be that. There were lots of families in Chiang Rai. These were hardcore, amazing families that had skills, and they would offer Christ to the Thais, who are four-tenths of a percent Christian. And then they said, let's form into a school and help each other out. And they did, and it was going well. But now it's flipped, where the school has a website. And people come to Chiang Rai now because they're like, oh, we've got this kid who has special educational needs, but we feel called to missions. And they come to Chiang Rai. They come to northern Thailand because the school's there. And we love that. The Thai people are starting to hear the gospel. And there's actually some church growth, which for hundreds of years, literally hundreds of years, the Thai people have resisted the gospel of Jesus. And they're starting to hear it. There's starting to be a, a little bit of a movement. Cora mentioned that some people are training pastors who are native to the area. And that is an incredibly rare thing. And we are seeing that happen. So we're excited to see that this could be a time in Thailand's history where things changed. And I think the school can be a major part of that as well as other schools that are starting to plant that are having the same vision to reach ties through education. So if any of you actually have interest in being involved by short-term going, long-term going, you want to come live next door to us, we'll get you a house, whatever you got to do. But uh, me and Jesus have plans for your life. I hope more Jesus than me. But I would love to talk to you about ways that it might work out. So it could be anything from teaching. We've got guys over there that just do construction stuff, and they full-time work for various ministries. So I want to smash a myth, and Acts 18 is actually going to help me do that. Uh, moving is not a spiritual gift. It doesn't take any special movement of God to move. How many have moved in this room? Can you wave at me? You've moved. 
Excellent. Full pre- How many of you have a job or have a full-time occupation such as mother at home? You want to wave at me? You got something you do that's committed full-time. Oh, I had more than half of you in here. That's pretty much missions, right? I was in America, and I taught math. It was actually over in Columbia Heights. Uh, it's now called, I think it's Columbia Heights Academy. They now have shirts, official shirts. So it's now an academy. But I used to taught there, tough school. And uh, during my free time, I attended a church, and I faithfully tried to talk to people about Jesus, and I did some discipleship. Now, oh, and I played basketball. Now I've moved to Thailand where I teach middle school, and I use basketball to reach people, and I try to be faithful to a church body. It's the same thing, just a different place. So please, let me smash the myth. Um, before we jump into this, um, yeah, let's do this first. Let's, let's mix it up. Why not? Mix me up. The Acts of the Apostles, you've been on this major journey, right? And I had to take the better part of two weeks just to catch up, because I kept re- reading Acts 18, and I'm like, I'm not sure I remember this right, so i got to go back. And I went back to 14, and I was like, oh, Okay, I don't, I'm at 12 and then 8, then I'm just, forget it, I'll just read the book. So I read up to 18 a whole bunch of times, read a bunch of commentaries, and there is so much richness in here. There's all this deep knowledge that I could be like, let me tell you these great nuggets that are right in between the lines and under the surface. Um, and I was looking for God in prayer to give me something for you. I'm going to apologize in advance. He gave me something for me. He gave me eight things for me that have kept us alive over the last five years in Thailand because trying to live out Jesus' life is harder after you have Jesus. This sounds obvious, right? But once you have something, there's this excitement, right? We went to a thrift store recently, and my son found this 20-round Nerf gun that you hand pump, like the old super soakers that put out people's eyes. You remember those, the good ones, right? You can't get them anymore. They won't let you own them. But you pump that thing up, and you pull the trigger once, and 20 bullets come flying out. I'm like, this is the one. This is the one. I mean, this is, this is the gun. And he's so excited, right? And he's shooting it and shooting it. And how long before he was bored? Guess. 15 minutes, that's like 13. <laughs> yeah, it was, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Be grateful, you little monkey. But uh, he, he just kind of, it loses this flair, right? So there are things that need to be restored. What I found is Christ was working through Acts 18 to remind me what it takes to be routinely restored. Routinely restored to faith and joy in your first love. Your first love, not switching to other loves, but sticking that first love. So here's the story of Acts. I'll take a detour, and then we'll go through those eight things. So Jesus, right, rose from the dead. Good news. And then he says, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. We've got a few people there, right? We're just waking up. But All of those places eventually in Acts are addressed, and it's pretty amazing. And then Jesus says, I'm going to come back the same way I'm going now. And he's like, off, right? Day of Pentecost. He tells them, go wait, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That happens, and they become witnesses immediately. They start speaking out truth about Christ. Presumably, it doesn't literally tell us. But uh, they were speaking in all these different languages, and the church grows by the thousands. Wouldn't that be interesting? Then the church grew so fast and started talking so much that it irritated people who mattered, and they killed a guy named Stephen, while Pharisee Rookie of the Year, Saul of Tarsus, holds everybody's coats, right? 
right? He's going to become important very soon. Then persecution, the same persecution that began with Stephen, scatters people. They were told to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but it wasn't happening quite fast enough, and so they got a little push by way of murders. And uh, Philip ends up preaching in Samaria and to an Ethiopian eunuch. And I was just talking to a friend of mine from University of Northwestern days, and he's adopted two guys from sons from Ethiopia. And he's saying, I'm considering a lion tattoo because the lion of Judah is one of the most prominent symbols in the country of Ethiopia. I was like, no way. So that, that heritage remains in Ethiopia. Paul soon to be Paul, Saul gets saved, right? Rookie of the year for the Pharisees, holding the coach, cheering everybody on, get that Stephen, and now he's the guy bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, not too bad. Then Peter, big important guy, sees the spirit fall on Gentiles in the same way it did on the day of Pentecost, so he goes back to the church in Jerusalem and says, I think this is the same, and they're like, I think it's the same, and so it turns out all of us Gentiles here get to be part of the church, so score. Then Antioch starts to grow, and they say Paul and Barnabas, the helper, goes with Saul, Paul, and they go on trip one, which I call the turkey circle, because they stay pretty much in the modern area of Turkey. They do a little circle, and they come right back to the church, and they hit up a few places, and it went really bad. Like, it went good in the sense that people heard Christ and did believe, but there were some really rough moments. You probably know them. And then they came back and said, hey, there's some people that are saying you got to be circumcised to believe in Jesus. How do you feel about that? And they made some decisions, and now Paul goes out. Go ahead, Jimmy. And in a second round, which I like to think of, oh, that's the first one. That's the turkey circle. So it kind of turkey circle, that's all, it says Asia, but Asia has moved, right? This is Turkey. And then one more time, the second trip, I call it the Olympic lap because they go through Greece, right? Olympics, you know, Greece. So the Olympic lap, he does all of that. And where we're going to be to start is Philippi. It was this weird story. Go ahead and click one more time, Jimmy. There's this weird story where uh, Paul, he picks up Silas because he and Barnabas got in a fight. Did you know sometimes Christians get in fights? Yeah, over dumb stuff. This time he got in a fight over a guy named Mark, right? We know Mark because he helped write a book. And then he picks up Silas and along the way he picks up Timothy, oddly circumcised that guy to not cause problems with Jews, but it wasn't a legalistic thing apparently. Then Paul's trying to get into all these places and the Holy Spirit, it says, shut him down. No, 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 no. Paul's aggressively seeking an opportunity. No, 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 no. Has a dream of a man in Macedonia saying, come over here. So he goes to Philippi. And I've found uh, God most often directs me when I'm knocking on doors. So I take it from that story. It's one of my most important stories in finding the will of God for me personally is I'm going to knock on doors and see what opportunities are available. Is this opportunity, is this fit? Is this, is this possible? Are you calling me to it, Lord? Do I feel anything strong? And then things have always lined up, not in the timing I liked ever, ever, ever. But eventually I see the path open up or I hear a clear calling from the Lord and my wife does and then clues me in and then I'm like, oh, okay, you're right. I didn't want to do that, but you're right. And then we get to Philippi. The door opens finally for Paul and no synagogue. That's weird. So he goes down to the riverside and sees if anybody's praying and there are, there are some women down there and some of them pray and then of course he talks a lot and when everybody talks about Jesus, you get in trouble. That's how the world goes. And there's a jail moment. They get thrown in jail and in jail they're praising God and then there's this crazy, maybe an earthquake type moment that breaks down the place, you know, and the Philippian jailer comes to faith in his entire household. And that's a good reason to go to jail. Right? If, if I could say you could spend a night in jail and a family 
would come to know Jesus, would you do it? I think that's a good trade. What if I told you something, something simpler? How about, you know, it's talk to anybody. What if, what if you knew there was just this deal with God and you laid out a hundred, you didn't even give tracts to people, just talking about Jesus on paper and you just left it places. If you did that 300 times, if you knew one person would come to Christ, one person would know the love of Jesus and enter into the kingdom at some point, would you do that? Yeah, 300 pieces of paper, I'll throw that all over the place. I'm going to get to 900 by Thursday, right? <laughs> Looking like Gambit from the X-Men. We, we do that, but when we're, not, we're not doing that. I mean, maybe a couple of you in here, but it has not been my experience for myself or for others that we continue in that mode. Yet, Paul went a lot of weird places. He goes down by the river, he goes to jail, and continues to find that these are the places in which God is working, right? Now, some of you have jobs, that's an amazing place. All I do is I work and I talk about Jesus. I would encourage you to be a missionary in the same way that I am. Like, I'm not trying to be on any magical pedestal. I'm a teacher. I'm just a teacher. And some of you are just a, I don't know what you are. But you have an open field. You don't necessarily have to go to the riverside or the jail. Sometimes the jail comes to you. Sometimes Thailand comes to you, right? Thessalonica he goes on after getting broke out of jail. It's a weird ending to that story. But Thessalonica, he gets three Sabbaths before a mob forms against the story of Christ. And he's run out of town, kind of. It sounds like he got a bribe. Somebody paid a bribe and got he and a guy named Jason out of jail and, and Silas. It was a weird moment. They go on to Berea. And these Bereans are so admirable. They're digging into the scripture and they're starting to believe Paul that, yes, this is the Messiah. And then the mob from Thessalonica Haters be haters. They chased him to the next town and ran him out of Berea. And then he lands in Athens, which I heard you heard about last week. And he's like to these uh, leaders and philosophers, the unknown God is risen. And they were oh, kind of made a face at that and didn't love it. A few did follow the story, but most of them were not super impressed. They did agree to maybe hear him again, some of them. But out of that story, I, I hear Little birdie told me that you may have had three points from the last sermon time you were together, that Paul was provoked by the idolatry. He saw the idolatry, and it caused him to begin to move in faithful action. And then he found a point of connection, the unknown God, which had an idol, as well as a little pop song that kind of helped him to communicate with people on their level. And then he preached Jesus, who died and rose from the dead. And that's it. Not terribly difficult to do, and it's actually a pattern that we could follow today. You could actually see something that God stirs up a righteous, maybe sometimes anger, because that's okay, right? But then we still move in love, and you find a place to connect with people. Basketball works for me and kids. And then after that, we are faithful to tell the story. And I'm going to try to demystify missionaries, because the, the last time God really impressed on me that I needed to talk to somebody, I was at a gas station. I'm sitting in a car. I'm actually studying my Bible, very righteous. Sometimes I use God against God because I saw this guy as an old veteran guy filling up the truck in front of us while my wife was filling the car because I'm a bad husband. But I'm reading my Bible, and then I see this guy, and he waves, he smiles and waves, and I knew it. I just knew it. And I knew I had to go talk to him. And I didn't know why. I still don't know why. But I, I'm like, no, God, I'm studying the Bible. <laughs> a little bit busy right now. If you come back later. Um, so then I got out of the car and I grabbed some tracks because I knew Cora was about done. And she's time-oriented. 
so I got to get done with this quick. Um, so I came up to the guy, and I'm like, hi, sir, and I got his name. I'm like, you know, I, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I felt like God was asking me to come talk to you about Jesus. Uh, you, you look busy, but at the same time, could I give you something? Would you be willing to read this? And he's like, no, 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 I'm good, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And, and totally rejected me. And got back in the car. I still don't know why I had to talk to that guy. And that's most of ministry. I don't know why I had to obey that. I'm not exactly sure why. I, th- I think it might have been more for me than for that guy. Because it took me almost two minutes of trying to use the Bible against God. Of like, nah, I'm just going to finish this up. It's just one more thought. And, uh, 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 and for two minutes, what I was really doing is stalling to get up the bravery, the great missionaries you know, of the world. Get the bravery to go talk to one guy in my home language. Like, this should not be hard, but it is. It's hard. It's hard. Living anything like that is hard. And we want to mystify this and put it 2,000 years ago in Turkey and in Greece. But it's, it's Maple Grove. It's Eden Prairie. It's Roseville. It's White Bear. It's wherever you want to live up in here. It's very simple. He's going to everyday places. He's being provoked by the idolatry of people. And even though it looks different, there's still idolatry here. Literal over there, the stuff you're used to. But just us in our environments, we're going to see idolatry all the time. Pay attention to it. Let a point of connection build a relationship. One of the most missional things you could maybe ever do is bake cookies and give them to your neighbor. That's high-level missions work. I'm not joking. It's not sarcasm. Building relationships is all that missions is. Please build relationships and then preach because there are still people in this city that I and my wife, we care for deeply. We spent time bumping into some of them and a friend of mine was reminding me of days when I used to go down to Ramsey County Juvenile Detention Center and preach to these kids that have never truly heard about Christ. Jesus is an action figure on a cross that grandma wears. Doesn't know anything except for he died. Some of them don't even know he rose from the dead and it's something that's on the tip of our tongues if it would just come out. And then, if it wasn't enough for Paul to be chased all the way down the Greek peninsula, then he has to leave beside his boys. He says goodbye to them, and he goes on to the next thing, and that is not fun. Now, he trusted them to stay there and do the work because he believed they could do it, but going on alone is sad. I disciple five boys. There's a, one American Thai kid, one American kid, two Aka kids, one, oh, six boys, <laughs> and a Chinese kid, and a northern Thai kid. I don't have six fingers. But that northern Thai kid, he just took off, and his family is sending him to this very prestigious, very expensive school in New Zealand. And that's killing me right now. His name is Gan, and Gan is Gan. Uh, I love that guy, and I've invested in him for a little more than three years since he was a sixth grader, and now I'm losing that guy. And I can kind of feel what it might be like to say goodbye, Paul and Silas. Sorry, (laughs) when Paul says goodbye to Silas and Timothy, the guys who had been with him and had been seeking Christ together. Now I'm saying goodbye to this guy, and I'm like, oh, God, what do you, how are you going to do it without me, Lord? (laughs) We do that a lot in missions. We think we're actually the only source of Jesus on the planet. Turns out, you'll never believe it, about two weeks ago, I got a message from him, and he said, oh, I didn't know it, but the school connects you with a host family so you can get to know New Zealand. And my host family, they are Christians. And they said they agreed to bring him to church. So uh, continually, the Sean girl's gone, who's gone, continually seeing Christ meet the needs of his people, and it's big. It's big, but you're part of it, right? It, It might be that you have an opportunity to say one thing one time to some random guy who's gassing up, but that doesn't mean that's the end of the story, right? 
I don't know what the rest of that guy's life looked like. I hope one day I bump into him and I'm like, you're the guy from the gas station in the kingdom one day. If I could just be a stepping stone, step on my back and take one step closer to Christ, then please be about that life. Go ahead, Jimmy. So here we go. This is Corinth. Modern day, it's got this amazing canal actually ripped all the way through the earth. That was not there. Corinth, instead, they would take all the stuff off the ship, carry it across using animal power, and they would put the ship itself on rollers and roll it across that peninsula. That isthmus is the right word. Little tiny narrow things. Unbelievable. But that became the crossroads in the Mediterranean near Turkey and Greece. That became the easiest way to get across because the other way was to go under Greece and it was nasty waters and ugly earth and a lot of ships went down sailing under Greece. So instead they'd go through and on the way they'd stop in basically the Vegas of the Russian Empire, which was Corinth. An amazing place, so amazing. It's got this hill. Go ahead and click again. Got called the Acro Corinth. It just means Corinth Hill, Mount Corinth. And at the top, the legend says that Poseidon gave Aphrodite the hill. And she had a big temple up there where there are a thousand workers. These are like Bangkok workers, that kind of worker. And these women who are uh, temple prostitutes, um, they, they would do their job. And of course, when you've got a bunch of sailors coming through town and you've got a brothel up on the hill, you make a lot of money. So the city grew really, really big. Julius Caesar uh, brought it back from the dead, and then they started moving ships, and all of a sudden it's this cosmopolitan place that set style and fashion and art. It's still famous for what you can see there, the uh, leftovers, the ruins, but there are a lot of mosaics actually found in Corinth. Ha, ha, ha. And uh, in the course of its life, it became basically Las Vegas. So not a great place to live, and this is where Paul goes alone. And Paul was a man. So I'm going to tell you this is probably not the best place in the world to do singles men ministry in a place that in myth, mythology, we don't think this is true, but one guy named, uh, I forget his name, Sosthenes? I think that was the historian. But he said that there were a thousand prostitutes. Now, the temple was about the size of the basketball court, so they weren't there, but the, the story goes that they had lots of houses, like hut houses, all around. We're not exactly sure, but it wasn't a great place on earth. Yeah, oh, Strabos, there we go. The temple of Aphrodite was once so rich that it had acquired more than a thousand prostitutes donated by both men and women, their slaves, to the service of the goddess. And because of them, the city used to be jam-packed and became wealthy. The ship captains would spend fortunes there. And so the proverb says, the voyage to Corinth isn't for just any man. So here's, here's Paul. So what does Paul do as he enters into Corinth? Go ahead. Verse 1 of chapter 18, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. These are pretty average people. They got kicked out of their house because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. What did Paul do as soon as he got to Corinth? Got a job, right? That's what great missionaries have, jobs. And that's where missions has gone. There are less and less people that are just showing up with the Bible and talking about Jesus. There are more and more people that are going into a community, investing in the community, and offering Jesus through the connections they build. And you already have that. You already have that, and you have the native language of America, right? You're ready to go. He went to see them. He was actually looking for someone, and he found these people. We don't know if Priscilla and Aquila are already believers in Christ 
or if Paul leads them to Christ. It doesn't tell us. But we know at the end of the chapter, which I won't read to you later, Priscilla and Aquila tell the entire story of Jesus to a man named Apollos. Now, Apollos is quite the preacher, a great speaker. He's going around refuting the Jews and proving from the scriptures that there is a Messiah. And it could, he may have even at that time been preaching that it was this Jesus. But he had not heard about Pentecost. He had not heard about the Holy Spirit. He had been baptized in the manner probably of John, a repentance towards God. And the Messiah is here, but maybe not into faith in Jesus. Because at the end of the chapter... Priscilla and Aquila sit down this man, this great speaker, and they tell him the full story of Jesus. And he goes on to be one of the greatest preachers of the early church. So much so that later, Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians. He's like, why are you guys splitting up based on the great preachers? He doesn't say great about himself. But he's like, some of you are aligning yourself with me, Paul. Some of you are aligning yourself with Apollos and some with Peter. Right? That's not, we know Peter, we know Paul. How many of us talk about Apollos? But this great preacher was led to the full knowledge of Christ by some leather crafters who had just barely known Jesus. Maybe a year and a half they had known Jesus. And they put their stamp on the history of church. Why? Because they had a job and they met a guy and they told him about Jesus. And they influenced one of the greatest preachers of the first century church. Unbelievable. It's not, it's not as crazy. Missions is not as crazy as you think it is. But what I do learn from Paul's perspective out of this is, go ahead, Jimmy, is that you have to have a Corinthian community. You are always surrounded by idolatry and, and possible sin. It's waiting to pounce on us like a tiger. And actually the tiger is probably us more than anything. We fall into sin, but how are you going to stop that? You're going to get a community of people or you're going to be alone and you're going to fail. He found people right away. He built that community. So as we go through this, normally with the sermon, I would want to talk to you and want to say, this is the one thing I feel like God had to say to me, and I think it might be for you too. I'm going to give you eight things. That's unreasonable, completely unreasonable. I'm asking you as you go through, which is the one that has become the 20-round Nerf gun? Which is the one that you're like, oh, when I was first with Jesus, I was pumping that up and just shooting people down. And I was like, oh, this is great. And then, and then 13, 15 minutes passed, right? And then you stop doing that thing, right? Some people aren't in church because that's their 20-round Nerf gun, right? Otherwise, these, churches, these uh, bleachers, oddly enough, would be full. So what is it for you? I don't know. I don't know. Help me out, Jimmy. Keep going. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. Oh, thank God, Paul thinks there's actually a synagogue here. And he starts doing his normal thing, and he persuades Jews and Greeks, you need to have a normal thing. Go ahead. Synagogue Sunday consistency. The second thing I would ask you to spend some time with God for a moment. You can ignore me. It's okay. I'm not that important. Ask God, do I have something consistently that I... I can kind of serve in? Or do I have a consistent place where I'm building relationships so that I have one day a bridge that will hold the weight of the gospel? You know what I mean? Like going up to that guy at the gas station, it didn't work. Corey even called me on it. She's like, that's probably not the best way to share Jesus. I'm like, thanks, wife. <laughs> but like, you're right. I don't know why I did it, but I felt convicted and I just had to do it. But what is your synagogue Sunday consistency? What's that thing that's gonna continue to allow you to offer Jesus here and there as, as, as a becomes an opportunity. Keep going, Jimmy. We're good. 
When Silas and Timothy arrived, oh, thank God, the boys come back and Saul's got a little, or sorry, Paul's got a crew again. They arrived from Macedonia. Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said, your blood is on your own heads, I'm innocent. Yeah, and I want to see Eric do that one day, be like, I told you guys this and your blood is on your own head and I'm innocent. He's like, but you can't because they're skinnies. And then he walks out. You know? <laughs> no, that's not normal pastoring, right? So he's speaking to people and he's routinely, it says he, how does it, where to go? He occupied himself with the word testifying. And that word testifying is a proclaiming. It's a shouting, a public declaration. And he's been doing this and doing this and doing this. When we learn in a different book of the Bible that Silas and Timothy actually brought funds to Paul, and Paul stopped working. He was a tent maker, and he was doing the work of a tent maker with Priscilla and Aquila to pay for his way. But when the other churches generously gave and the gift came from Macedonia, he's like, I've got an opportunity here. While I can, I'm going to devote myself to just preaching to them. And to his own people, he says, your blood be on your own head. And they knew exactly what that meant. They knew exactly the reference to Ezekiel, where it was given a warning to watch tower workers. So outside of a city, in some larger cities like Jerusalem, there would be a tower. And that would, of course, allow you a vantage point to see far away. And if an invading army were coming, the job of the watch person would be to run down, tell everybody, an army's coming, lock up the gates, everybody get inside the walls, and they would keep the city safe. Well, Paul apparently sees himself as a worker in a watchtower. And there's something he's seen, which is Christ the Lord and he feels, in the same sense as a watchtower keeper, that he must run down to his own people and say, please, I'm begging you, run inside the walls and shut the gate. Something terrible is coming. Now, with the watchtower keeper, um, in Ezekiel, it says, if you proclaim this to them and they do not listen to you, their blood is on their own heads. But if you do not, if you do not proclaim it to them, and even one person falls by the sword, their blood will be on your own head. And Paul feels this in the same way. He senses that I have this duty because I have seen the Christ. And for us, I would maybe translate that to think, I have experienced life with the risen Jesus. And I know he's invisible, and I can't hug him or grab him, pull his hair. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. But how... how how can I communicate to you that I have seen the risen Lord? I have my word. I have the events of my life where I've seen God come through in situations where there really wasn't something left that I could do. And that's his favorite place to get work done because I can't steal his glory. And then he comes through and I'm like, over and over, God has provided for me and for my family. And this word is rich and it explains me. It explains the world. It explains my life. And when we have that kind of perspective that if I don't speak what I have seen in Christ and the word. And what I have seen in Jesus in my life, I wonder how right Paul is to think that the blood may be on his head or the blood may be on our head. I don't say that to raise up guilt, right? That's not why we share Jesus. You don't go to someone guilty. I tell sixth graders all the time, I work with sixth graders in a leadership training thing we do at our school. I tell them, you get what you give. If you come up to a little kid and you're trying to lead him and you're like, hey, this is our game and I, um, first you're going to go over there and we're going to play. It's going to be horrible. You're going to get back the same lack of energy and the dopey face that you gave them. But if you come up and you're like, this is going to be the best game ever. Are you guys ready to play? Okay, over. And evangelism is the same. 
Some of us, let's just own it, we are ashamed of the story because as Corinthians, the book, uh, let's call it a letter, Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians in which he warns and says, this looks like foolishness, it really does, but it's the wisdom of God. It's gonna take some bravery to get this done. And I think sometimes for Paul, it had to be a reminder that the blood is gonna be on my head. You gotta kind of give yourself a kick in the butt occasionally. Keep going, Jimmy. We're gonna blaze through the last few. But if the watchman sees, here's Ezekiel, the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hands. I want us to be clean. And when we finally meet Jesus, we felt like we did everything within our power to obey. I know it's not true for me. It hasn't been true for me, but I want to start over every moment and try to get it right. Thanks. So bloody head mentality. I think we need that reminder that this is life and death. That is a gross little symbol. I'm just going to eat it. <laughs> I wrote it up. It's this: the blood is on my head or it's on their head, and I at least have to be clean before my Lord. I just want to obey, even if I look like an idiot at a gas station. Let's just do that. Go ahead. For, uh, sorry. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles, and he left there and went to the house of a man named uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door. Next door opportunities. He's just looking. If one thing fails, I'm not going to get caught up in that. I'm going to move on to the next one. And gone is gone. And so I'm going to ask the Lord, who are you bringing into my life that I can offer Christ to and try to do life with? Look for that next door opportunity. There's always another one. Now, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. He got the ruler of the synagogue together with his entire household. Yeah. And many of the Corinthians heard Paul, believed, and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Don't be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you. This is Paul. But we know he's afraid because he actually writes in 2 Corinthians that he's very, very, very afraid to the point of trembling. He's like, I have no wise words, and I was with you in humility and fear and trembling. And his solution was to be with Jesus, a with you intimacy. I need to be with you. If I'm the greatest preacher in the history of the Christian church, the only way I get there is if I spend time with you. I've got to be intimate with you so I have something to offer out. Go ahead. Verse 10b, for I have many in this city who are my people, says God to Paul. And he stayed, Paul stayed, a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. This is our hope. Christianity exists because it offers us real hope. Many in this city expectancy. Paul, remember, preaches in these synagogues and huh, he tells them your blood is on your own head and this is a complete failure. Maybe he felt that way. But he got the ruler of the synagogue to follow Christ. I mean, he gave that opportunity to him. It wasn't a complete loss. So even when it feels broken, and why are you taking my gone from me? Why are you taking my boy? Uh, why did I have to talk to this random dude at a gas station? Why do, I have to, why do I have to? Why did I? Why didn't you? Many in this city expectancy is this hope that in all of it, God is at work, and Christ will not fail his bride. He will not fail to grab glory for himself from all nations and from your circle of friends. Have that expectancy that God has many in this city. 
And the last one, there's a little break in here where the Jews, they unite to attack Paul. They bring him to the tribunal. And this guy named Gallio is like, I'm not going to deal with this. You guys see to this yourself. This is not my law. It's your law. And they seize a guy named Sosthenes, who's the new ruler of the synagogue. And they beat him up in the streets and no one stops it. Interestingly, later on uh, in a book of Paul, he mentions a Sosthenes who is a brother in the Lord. Now, it could be a different guy. I like to pretend that it's this guy that got beat up after taking Paul to court because that's kind of how God does things. Maybe it was him. Maybe it wasn't, but it's a fun story. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila, the rookie Christians, been Christians for a year and a half. They going to talk to this guy named Apollos pretty soon, and he brings them with them. You do not need to have been with Christ 20 years. Just be with Christ and be useful. At, uh, I don't want to say that, Centria, <laughs> maybe, he had his hair cut, and he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. He keeps going with his consistency, but he cut his hair he actually made something called a Nazarite vow. You might know Samson as being famous for something like that. And so this Nazarite vow, we don't exactly know what it's for. We don't know, but it was something important. And the natural thing to do after you cut your hair from a Nazarite vow is take it to the temple and burn it. And we know after this, Paul pretty much beelines for Jerusalem. And the presumption I'm going to make is that he was going to finish this vow before God and burn his hair. Sometimes it was for obedience. Sometimes it was for thankfulness. But what I know is there's a physical indicator of his relationship with Christ. So the last one, a cut your hair physicality. Don't cut your hair. That doesn't necessarily make you closer to Jesus. If he says that, cut your hair. It's fine. Um, but there's got to be something that the invisible God is able to use in the physical realm to connect you. And of course, it's going to be your community, your I'm alone in Corinth community. But what else is it? Some people, you throw a tattoo on somewhere, and you look at that a lot of time. For my mom, she hangs verses in front of herself on the mirror, because that's the first thing she does in the morning is brush her teeth. She's crazy about her teeth. But she's also crazy about Jesus. And so she puts those words right in front of her. The Jews, they were told to write the scriptures where? Around their door, because that, you, know, you go out. When it's time to go out into the world, you want that last reminder, that physical reminder. So I encourage you, as the Ebenezer Stones were for Israel, set up physical reminders and call yourself back to these. If I'm alone, I will find community. I'm going to look for some way to consistently be connected and to serve. I'm going to have this mentality that it is my responsibility to share Jesus. If I see an opportunity next door, I'm going to ask the Lord and knock and see if the door is open. And then the next door and the next door and the next door until Macedonia happens. I will be with you, Lord Jesus, because that intimacy is divine. I'm attached to and without it, I am dead. And my life is basically ready for the fire. Many in this city, Lord, belong to you, and I just want you to show me where one of them is. Will you lead me to one in this city that belongs to you? And if I forget, I'm going to put something in front of my face so I remember. And we do this over and over and over. This is how I failed in Alaska to take care of myself and my family, is not reminding and remembering Jesus. And it's how we're barely hanging on in Thailand, and God continues to meet us, but it's reminding ourselves that these things are always present. Not all the time. They ebb and flow. But I'm asking you now, we're going to take a quick moment and then be done. Maybe close your eyes, maybe don't. That's up to you and God. But which of these is a place in which God is asking you to take a step towards regular life with him? Regular Maple Grove life with him. So let's pray for just one minute quietly and then I'll close this.